Hello and welcome to Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love, hate, or love to hate. I'm your host, Erin Palmer, and today I am joined by Kelsey. Hello, Kelsey. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. This is going to be such a fun episode. Um, I, I've been dying to talk to you about this. It's been fun to get into it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, without further ado, Kelsey, can you please introduce today's source material? Today, we're going to be talking about the Hunger Games and may the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> Love it. Um, and who is it by? Uh, it is written by uh, Suzanne Collins. And let's see. Oh, gosh. I don't have the year. 2008. I got you. <laughs> 12, some, somewhere some, around there. Something like that. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Great. Um, and then our adaptation is also The Hunger Games, which is directed by Gary Ross in 2012, and it is starring Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutcherson, along with many, many other amazing actors. Um, so before we begin our topic, I would just like to kind of make a quick disclaimer. Um, the whole point of this podcast is to have a deep dive discussion about a source material and its adaptation. So spoiler alert, there's going to be a lot of things that we talk about in depth, so lots of spoilers. So if you are interested in not having things spoiled for you, go back and read the book, watch the movie, and then come back to us and we can deep dive together. Before we get started, Kelsey, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Are you pro-source or pro-adaptation? This one's always a tough one. Um, you know, for me, actually, this is one of the few cases where I like both pretty equally, but for very okay. different reasons. Mm. Is is it because they're so close together or? Part of it is they're really close together. I think they definitely did a good job. Um, but more importantly, it's what they added that I think made it um, pretty great for the movie adaptation. Um, mm. the problem you get with books and movies is books tend to be in one person's head and movies can kind of be anywhere and everywhere. So I think they do a good job of making a single point of view, um, several points of view. Okay, great. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this was a really hard pick to, to kind of break down. Do I like the book more? Or do I like the movie more? And they, you're right. They did a really good job of kind of keeping the, the two very similar and on the same vein. So it is hard to kind of break them apart. But I, again, I also like them for slightly different reasons of how they delivered each piece. Mm -hmm. So that I totally agree with you. Cool. All right. Well, let's dive right in. Do you want to give us a quick synopsis about the source material? Yeah. So basically, we are coming in um, with the 74th annual Hunger Games. Basically, you get it from Katniss Everdeen's perspective. She is a girl from District 12. And basically, you follow her footsteps and getting to know um, the area, the capital, and obviously the Hunger Games themselves. Mm. Um, and it's mostly her journey of how she survives through everything and how others don't. <laughs> mm, yeah, perfect. Okay. So just kind of right out the gate, what stood out to you about the book? Like what kinds of things did you notice for themes or things that you really enjoyed about the book in particular? Um, I really like how um, this is one uh, one book in any ways that I find that uh, kids and adults both like. Mm -hmm. um, they do a good job 
of making the right things important. And ironically, with a book being all around death pretty much constantly, it's not a gruesome or like hard to read book mm. at all. Um, mm-hmm. Considering that you get 24 tributes and one is only supposed to make it out to the other end, right. um, it is surprisingly an upbeat story for as downbeat as it is <laughs> yeah yeah no I totally agree I think you know the the viewership originally I think started more of like kind of younger teen kind of audience but it definitely has taken off in obviously well above that age range it's really hit a lot of different demographics and I, I agree I think that um, it could have been like Game of Thrones where it's absurdly gory and violent for mm-hmm. multiple reasons, and especially with the premise of it just being a bloodbath for entertainment. Um, yeah. And there is a lot of different ways it could have gone, but I, I agree. I think there it was very minimal, but still got the kind of horrific scenario across without it having to be, you know, like Saw. <laughs> yeah, it could have easily gone that way. We could have right. easily had a movie that was from the Capitals perspective in the capital's way of hyping up how awesome it is rather than showing us how terrible it is. <laughs> right, right. And I think that the the book I found really interesting that you were you mentioned it before in your kind of quick synopsis that the entire book is from the perspective of Katniss. Yeah. So right out the gate you see everything from her eyes and she is still a child. Mm-hmm. So you know, she's older than a lot of the other people, but I mean, I think that the it's isn't it like twelve to eighteen is the is the range it is 12 of to eighteen, yeah, yeah. So I mean, eighteen year olds are still children, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, exactly. I mean, it's, it's so they're they're not that old, and you get this really horrific scene from the perspective of a child, and it 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 didn't feel like a children's book, even though it is from that perspective, mm-hmm. but. I think that, you know, having an adult write a story like this from the perspective of a child, but then having the lens of an adult writing it, it could have been a lot more gruesome. Yeah. And it was interesting that it didn't go that route, which I kind of enjoyed. I guess enjoyed is not really the right word because it's pretty messed up, but (laughs) (laughs) enjoyed. um, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. Maybe it's more of a respect for the author. Yeah. Um, to be able to portray something this graphic in a way that isn't actually necessarily graphic. Yeah. Um, which I thought that's very interesting how that panned out because it could have been a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What did you think about Katniss as the character? Um, in the books, I mean, they give you a little bit more of an insight in the book, obviously, for Mm -hmm. her thoughts. Um, That's something that is very hard to do in a movie. But um, in in the book, she's able to tell you exactly how she's feeling about any given character. And and the challenge in in the movie then comes, um, do you get that same point across? Um, Mm. And and I think... I think um, in the books, they make it a lot more obvious that the love story or love triangle, if you will even call it that, um, Mm -hmm. that that's not really a focus of hers, even though it is a focus of the book. It's more of a coping mechanism or trying to stay alive. And in the movie, um, 
they do that well, but it's a little bit more obvious that she's not actually in love yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely interesting um, how they go about showing that in versus just telling it to us in in the book. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. I think the way that her relationship with Peta and Gail in the book is t- described is a lot more like with Gail it's like she can be herself around him and he's the only person that actually really gets her and he taught her how to hunt and make traps and they kind of built that experience together and nobody else has ever seen her in that light so I think that that is much more of a, a friendship bond that they kind of start with and it's like she that's her only true friend before she leaves the district. And then with Peta, she doesn't really have it. It doesn't seem like a romantic relationship when she first starts kind of having the memories of him throwing her the bread in the rain and, and then, you know, starting to notice him more at school because of that event and just kind of watching him throughout their childhood. And then by the time they get to the Hunger Games and they start doing the whole like star-crossed lovers thing, that was never really in her mind until it was basically forced upon her. And then she started to think of it in more of a romantic setting. Mm-hmm. Well, to be fair, like they they're never supposed to make it out together. So right, I right. would I would have shut my brain down going, this is not an option. Don't even think about it. Like Right, exactly, because <laughs> there was never a thought in their minds from the very beginning that they they were ever going to make it out as a as a team because yeah. that had never been done before. And to be fair, the whole Gale triangle thing too, um that was, you know, they were friends, sure, but that all came from necessity and survival just as exactly. much as the Hunger Games were. So exactly. these boys are just survival tokens in her bag, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think she's just getting at that age where she is starting to maybe notice, but her survival has taken precedence so much longer than mm-hmm. any sort of romantic relationship that just the fact that it's not on her radar pretty much at all until way, way later is mm-hmm. kind of a testament to this is all about survival, not just when you're in the games. Yeah, with that kind of plot device, I, I kind of, again, kudos to Suzanne Collins for making a you know teen drama book and not having it be all about, I have to find my prince and I have to have my man to help <laughs> yeah. me through my life. Like it's not about a romance like this, there is, there happens to be a romantic element later on. But again, you're absolutely right. It's, it's strictly from the beginning, it's for survival purposes. Like the only way they get sponsors is if they have, they give them a reason to sponsor them and Mm -hmm. they, they create this environment for sympathy. Yeah. And so it may have started out as just, you know, it's, it's just a device to get you what you need. And maybe at some point, they realize, oh, maybe it's more than this. And we just didn't see it because we didn't have the time to do Mm -hmm. it until now. Yeah. Which is such a genius way to deliver a romantic line in a story. Because most of the time, it's like, there's a woman, she's alone and doesn't need anybody because she's independent. And then a dude falls into her lap and oh, it's love and it's amazing. And who knew she just needed a man to complete her. Like, there's a lot of stories that that's you know it's it's kind of like a slapstick humor of like they hate each other from the beginning and then oh now they love each other and it yeah it's a bit of a cliche that it is a total cliche (laughs) and and i like that suzanne collins didn't do that she 
she made it, you know, like this is a plot device. And even the character who's involved thinks that this is just a plot device. And yeah. then it be and then it becomes more than that, which is is kind of sweet. And I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but I do like how they did it. Yeah. You kind of just feel bad for both the boys, really. Because, okay, you always got the, you got the camps, right? Everybody's got to be, you know, for one or the other. And mm-hmm. uh, I just feel sad for both of them. And I, I know you haven't read the rest of the series, but I have. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that that's the thing is I haven't read the second or third book. So I'm sure that there's, you know, more developments on that later. But just from kind of looking at the beginnings of this, mm-hmm. um, I, I do like how that started, that it wasn't really anything. And then, you know, when push comes to shove, she starts to actually reframe this in her head saying, oh, maybe it is more than just, you know, I need them for a purpose. Yeah. Well, and it comes down to after you live through something as horrific as the Hunger Games. Right. How do you end up just with a normal person that lives in your town? You don't. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) you end up like Hamish. I know, who's like an absolute raging alcoholic, which I can you blame him? I mean, that's a great segue. Let's talk about Hamish. Yeah, he's he's a great character. I think he is my favorite character. Oh, Um, really? He's one of my favorites. And I think, you know... Maybe it's maybe we'll come back to this more in kind of the the movie discussion. But yeah, I think definitely. That he he is the true embodiment of what the Hunger Games does to the winners. Yes, and I mean, obviously, not every single winner is going to go home and just be a raging alcoholic and just be completely bitter. But the outcome of that seems pretty high. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, especially for a district out like district 12 where they don't have many victors and in his case he is one of two total that they've ever had Mm -hmm. and so you know you kind of have to realize that basically Hamish's job is to take kids to their death yeah and he has to do it every year I know and it's like how do you face that and that's that's the outcome is you face that by just being drunk all the time and just stop caring because if you start to care and you know where it's going Mm -hmm. it's going to destroy you I mean and and that's that's what he turns into and it's it's pretty awful because you know even though he survived the Hunger Games he didn't really survive the Hunger Games I think (laughs) he's there to be the placeholder for the reader this is mm-hmm. what we would all turn into if we mm-hmm. got out on the other side. Maybe maybe that's a little bit dark, but like yeah. I do feel like he's the reminder of this isn't a good thing. Being mm-hmm. the winner isn't winning. Right. Like, you know, the glory that they promise isn't glory. Right. It's a living nightmare. <laughs> exactly. Cause it's like, you know, you may have not died a horrible, gruesome death by people who are, you know, around your age or possibly younger or older. But now you have to live with the fact that you survived and you have to take your people to basically have a worse fate than you for the rest of your life, essentially. And, and worse than that, you know, the capital. Uh, or even District 1 and District 2 are going to make you a hero and glorify you for killing all of those other people. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to struggle with the the knowledge of knowing that killing people is bad. <laughs> and, However. <laughs> you know, and then having someone go, hey, 
you killed them real good. Here's a bunch mm-hmm. of money. Here's a house for you. Here's all these things to make your life nice and sweet. And oh, yeah, now you live alone. Good luck yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. And you're just kind of alone with your thoughts. And that was something that, you know, just reading the book before reading any of the others, it's the very end of the book is, you know, they're Katniss and, and Peter are going home to their district. And it's like, how do you just go home after something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. How do you just like go back, go about your business? And was like, yep, it was just, you know, we went to the Capitol and spent a couple weeks there and now we're home. Like, how do you cope with something like that? And that's something that they they definitely don't address in the first book. I, I don't know how they address it, if at all, in the other books, but there doesn't seem to be any, any sort of system in place to like basically coach people through what you do if you win. <laughs> well, the the idea is having other victors be there to coach you. So it goes to District 1 and District 2 are safe because they're the districts that always have a volunteer. So the kids, generally speaking, are safe because they're never... They're, they never have to worry about their name being drawn. It's always the older ones. Um, yeah. And so it's always the older ones because they either have their name in more or especially in those districts where they have the what they called the career, um, mm-hmm. the career tributes. tributes. So yeah. they train them like their whole life. Yeah, that seems like such a flawed. I mean, the system's already horribly flawed. Right. But, yeah. but talk about just like a super disadvantage for all those other districts who don't have the 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 resources mm-hmm. to help their children basically prepare for the inevitable. Yeah. Which is and- pretty horribly messed up on its own. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Not a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, I I wanted to um to talk about the the capital yes. and get your thoughts on what like when you first started learning about what the capital was and how it kind of got its standing, like what did you think of that? Um, as far as like them just being in charge of everyone or just... Uh... Yeah, just like how they came into power. They're, they're kind of like the propaganda that they have yeah. around the Hunger Games and just kind of the whole execution that is all done by the capital. Well, the capital is kind of just an interesting group in general. Um Something that I'm oblivious to because I'm not a history buff, is, um, but my husband was watching the movie with me mm-hmm. and started going, hey, I recognize a lot of these names from Roman history times. Oh, that's and right. Yeah. So like, I'm pretty oblivious to that stuff sometimes, but I'm really glad that he tuned me in because there are a lot of names uh, that correlate with um, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them have to do with like the fall of the Roman Empire kind of feel. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that I know anything on history or anything, but that's definitely something if you're interested to take a little bit more of a peek at. But mm. it's definitely, um, definitely fun to kind of look at some names and go, hmm, okay, they're definitely from the capital. Uh, they use these Roman names because they're strong and powerful, right? So mm-hmm. it's definitely interesting um, because this takes place in North America. 
Like, mm-hmm. it's basically, there's a very small blip at the beginning that basically is, like, this is many years after, like, lots of wars and things. Lots of land has gone away, flooding, you know, all kinds of natural disasters, things like that. So, right. you you know you're at least on Earth, and you know mm-hmm. that bad things happened, and, like... This is your outcome. This is where we're yeah. at. And basically, with them... Um, starting the Hunger Games as like a, you know, you guys messed up and this is your penance for all of us now being taken care of by the capital, which is basically just, you know, keeping everyone separated so that they don't know all of the story um, mm-hmm. and they don't have a way to stand up to to stop anything because they only know little bits and pieces of what's going wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So what's interesting about the book is it's from Katniss's point of view, a kid's point of view. So mm-hmm. she's not in tune with all of the political turmoil and crazy things that have happened and that are still happening. So mm-hmm. you kind of, what you get in the book is a, you suspect a lot of things are happening from the capital. And I think the biggest difference from the book and the movie is that they give you examples in the movie and they show you that yes in fact these are things happening from the capital whereas in the book it's more of a you're guessing but you're pretty sure you're right mm-hmm. you know so i think that's what makes it cool is that it gives you like that okay yeah no these guys are scumbags and mm-hmm. they show us that they are so that's helpful <laughs> yeah and it is pretty incredible to see like when they first have the reaping in District 12, and they have the whole like propaganda thing, like the, the kind of disclaimer that they always have every year mm-hmm. before the reaping to kind of just solidify the illusion of what the capital is doing for the districts. Mm-hmm. And it is so creepy and so genius yeah, to have that very like overlordy, ominous feel of like, you know, the the man is always watching kind of feel. Yeah. Um, and they they do a lot of discussion, it seems, about how, you know, like you were saying, that it's a penance for the uprising mm-hmm. to have, you know, it's it's amazing that they have the the kind of dichotomy of like it's a penance that we have that you have to pay because of the uprising. And this is how you do that. On top of it, it's a great honor to be a part of the Hunger Games and yeah. to to serve the capital. And what better way to do that than this? And so it's this weird hybrid of them saying, well, you're naughty and we're going to teach you a lesson. However, look how amazingly glorious this is to be a yeah. part of. It's yeah. so weird. <laughs> hey, but it's all it's all a big, you know, Coliseum sports game. You just yeah. gotta get the right hype and anybody'll get into it, right? It's pretty yeah. terrifying. <laughs> it's scary and it's just kind of disgusting on on how how it's created into this entertainment factor. And when you break it down, it's like people are enjoying watching children murder each other mm-hmm. in harsh conditions. And betting on it. And betting on it and <laughs> making profit off of it and, and getting like, you know, brownie points for being sponsors, regardless if you think they're going to win or not. Mm-hmm. And it's so messed up. And it's like you've got these full grown adults having, you know, the time of their lives at the expense of 23 children. 
Yeah. We're really 24 because even the survivor doesn't Isn't really, really win. really a survivor. Yeah, yeah. They don't really <laughs> come back from that. So, and then, you know, the whole process of when the tributes come in and they're just scrubbed from head to toe, like kind of like animals and they're mm-hmm. completely transformed so that they look nice and pretty. So people don't feel as guilty about it because they came from poverty. I mean, it's... Yeah, don't forget to like add more makeup and do yeah. the hair and it's even worse at the end when they gussy him up for the last interview um when they there was a big argument um and uh, she gets all upset because she's putting on uh the outfit and she doesn't fit in it and they had to fill her out with padding in the clothes and she gets upset that you know the that the people are going to see her rounded out and it's kind of just another lie from the capital showing that you know they make it just fine and they're totally normal and adjusted into the society in a matter of a couple of days right you know and not to mention that you know pita's lost a leg needs a cane you know and all these things and the big argument was you know oh well we we compromised and put padding in your clothes. They wanted to surgically alter you right. while you were out without your permission. Right. <laughs> so. Right. And it's it's so messed up that, you know, it's like, oh, we, pu- we package you in this beautiful little box so mm-hmm. that we don't feel guilty about putting you out for slaughter. Yeah. <laughs> and it's oh, it's like I, I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and so you know, and that kind of brings um, uh, Cinna into it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the man that actually designed all the clothing. Um, I love Cinna. Cinna is a great character. Cinna is my top five characters that I love besides I love Hamish. Cinna is great. Cinna is great. I, I really like Cinna a lot. Yeah, and that and that character brings a lot to the table, and I don't want to get too much into it, seeing as you haven't read further on. But that character, right. you know, sticks around. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's really a a cool, you know, you know, you kind of at even in the first book, you kind of start to pick out if once you start to figure out that there's more going on than just going to the Hunger Games, and you're not just a kid in the Hunger Games. Once mm-hmm. you figure out that there's more of political turmoil going on you start picking out the characters that seem to be running the show from behind the scenes yeah and i think the movie gives us more of the hey they're actually doing stuff while you're in the hunger games where you didn't see that you know because you couldn't before because it's all katniss so katniss is just experiencing it in real time so you know what she's seeing it's hard to tell like is this the game makers doing this or is this just the environment that they've been dropped into yeah they definitely make it seem as if um in the books anyway that they traveled a long distance to get to um the arena yeah they actually had to go find a parcel of land somewhere and build this so basically Mm -hmm. like one of one of the big scenes where she's running away from the fire Mm -hmm. um in her head she keeps thinking like i just have to get out of this zone because they've zoned this area this is the fireball area Mm -hmm. so she knows from watching the hunger games over and over in her lifetime that basically this place is a booby trap and once i'm out of it it will be fine but what's different in the movie obviously is that 
they the whole thing is basically a computer yeah (laughs) yeah so like they can just bring a fireball out of nothing basically whereas in the book it's more of a alluded to a little bit more setup and that they drop things in from like doorways and like hidden things that were already there Mm-hmm. Um, because they definitely have that with the beasts at the end where they just open up a doorway and they all run out. They just all kind of come out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. It, it is really cool to see everything, and we keep coming back to it, it's like the theme is like everything is from Katniss's perspective, so mm-hmm. it is kind of wild to see everything happening from her perspective and still have a kind of cohesive story without it being too micro essentially because it is only from her perspective so you know a lot of books you can kind of bounce around between characters so you can see like oh well while this was going on this was also going on and you can get kind of a more rounded perspective of what's happening in a story but with this story everything is from her perspective and yet you're still really able to to fully know what's happening even if it's not in her view yeah which i thought was kind of a cool mechanic um especially with you know the death of tributes, you hear the cannon fire. Mm-hmm. So that's something that she doesn't need to be anywhere near the death of a, of a tribute to know when someone has died. Yeah. It keeps you scared. It keeps you wondering, you know, you know that somebody's died. So mm-hmm. keep you on your toes, keeps you awake at night. <laughs> right, right. And then, you know, they have the whole kind of the, the death fanfare at the end of the evening where they have mm-hmm. the whole kind of like roll call of who has died in that day. Yeah. And it's it's so it's it's incredible to to how they illustrate everything that's going on without you having to actually be in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Which it's genius. It's it's and it is a very tense mechanism because it's you know, you hear the canon which you're like, "Oh my god, somebody else has died," which means how many more of us are left and then that means that, you know, there's less people to kill so now they're going to come after me and so there's a lot of these drives that come from just a cannon fire or just just the scroll at night. I think one of the cannons that was the most eerie for me, and this was actually one of the differences between the book and the movie. Um, one of they did a, I think, a pretty good job of keeping the majority of the deaths the way they happened. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have made them a little bit longer in some cases, but for the most part, they did a pretty good job of keeping them pretty true to exactly how it happened i think the only one that was different was thresh was a big Mm. one that was different um and i think they did that for a couple of reasons um one they didn't really have the big field in the movie um that they said that he was basically hanging out in the whole time and and i'm not really upset by that because at most it's kind of a passing glance because katniss as a character doesn't really ever go in there well because she knows not to yeah it's it's like i'm not going there no way and he's big and scary and like you know Mm -hmm. I've already used up my my freebie of not getting killed by him once. <laughs> right, right. And, um, you know, I, I, the biggest difference was, you know, with him being out in the open, you kind of can assume that he may have not had a great shelter. And you know that um, the one of the other tributes, um, 
oh gosh, the only other one that's used by name like a million times, Cato, sorry. Um, The other scary one. The other (laughs) scary boy on the field. Um, But you know that they're kind of hunting each other at the time. And and what happens in the book is it's a big rainstorm, thunderstorm that happens. And they kind of do have the rain moment because, of course, they do because that's the love moment between Katniss Aww. and Peeta. Of course, they're going to embellish that scene. But what I thought made it really interesting and creepy was just like this storm that was just going for an eternity and then it goes away and you know that there that a death happened and like it's it's just like so eerie that like you're having this loving touching moment of realizing that Peta's feelings aren't just because of the hunger games he's kind of that's the moment where he's proving like i was paying attention remember i remember mm-hmm. these things do you remember these things and mm-hmm. it's that moment of her realizing that's real and then there's still death happening outside. I know. You know, so it's really eerie. And then, you know, they they take uh, Thresh out with the beasts or the dogs. Um, mm-hmm. But both deaths happen off screen. Right. So I'm not really bothered by it. Like, it's all kind of happened around the same timing. Like, they still had, like, they didn't kill him out of order. I mean, that sounds so awful when you say it like that. I know. But it is messed up. But yeah, they, they did, did do stick a good to job. That. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we're already kind of broaching on the movie. So let's talk about the movie. So uh, yes. I'll just I'll give a quick little synopsis about that. It's it's really hard to to pull them apart because they are very similar. So, you know, you've got your Katniss Everdeen, who is she volunteers as tribute for the Hunger Games so that her sister does not have to participate because she's 12 and the only really the only family she has. And then it's kind of her self-discovery through the Hunger Games and how she kind of you know, beats the system as well, starts to learn a little bit more about herself and about the world that they're in. And um, I just, uh, the, it's so hard to keep them separate. So we'll, we'll try our hardest here. But um, yeah, kind of same question back to you from the first section, Kelsey, what stood out to you about the, the movie version? The movie version? Okay, I, I will admit. So this is one of the few times I tend to do better with liking both the book and the movie if I watch the movie first. Mm. Luckily for me, I did watch the Hunger Games movie, the first one first, which mm-hmm. piqued my interest. And then I read the entire series and then had to wait like everyone else for the next movies. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, the movie I thought was really great because they gave you the in the control room view. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the control room briefly, like in passing, but seeing the control room and actually seeing them bring a tree down so that a tribute can't run straight they have to turn and Mm -hmm. like that point of view i think is really an important ad as well as the best ad i think was getting the announcers um to talk basically be katniss's brain and and they're and it's a character that's already in the series and already doing the interviews with all of the kids anyways so it's great to have that you know as she discovers something in in the arena 
the announcers take over and go, look at this audience, they're coming up on this. And and I as much as I hate it when when movies have to handhold their audience, I really think that this movie did it well because otherwise you would look at like the tracker jackers, for instance. Oh my god, the tracker um, jackers. Yep. Yeah, oh my gosh. The tracker jackers, like, they wouldn't have had an explanation in the movie had they not found a way to basically announce what they were because otherwise you would have just thought they were hornets and yeah that sucks but that's not as bad as a tracker they are yeah um and that is something that they definitely veered from um specifically all of the animals Mm -hmm. in in the movie and the book are different um and by animals what i really mean is what is it matations Mm-hmm. Um, that is a word that they use for all of the scientific dabbling, uh, if you will, in into the different critters of the world, which were the tracker jackers and the mocking jays, mm-hmm. and even the beasts at the end. Which I'm not sure if those even had a name other than I don't scary. Think they did yeah, <laughs> I don't think they did have a name. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that having the um, interviewers or the, I guess that really the, the talk show hosts, the hosts? If, yeah, yeah <laughs> like having them as basically like sports commentators mm-hmm. during the Hunger Games just kind of solidifies how, how Hollywood, ho- yeah, how Hollywoodized <laughs> or how like, I don't even know what the word I'm trying to think of, just like the popularity of it and just creating this weird little sphere of it's just entertainment. They make it feel like it's just a horse race. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like any other uh, any other betting game. And, you know, you, you're just kind of giving context for those yeah. who may or may not know what a tracker jacker is. But it's also kind of a, a beautiful way to also bring the viewer in and yeah. explain to them, like, if you've never read the book, you've never seen the tracker jackers up until this point. Whereas in the book, they reference it actually quite early because it's in the beginning when Katniss and Gail are in a field hunting and they see tracker jacker nests and go the other way yeah and so there's you know there's no lead-in until then in the movie so you yeah yeah it kind of comes out of the blue for you Mm -hmm. and what's more interesting is that um specifically all of these mutations are um they're all military oh yeah it was all for the resistance military attacks Mm -hmm. so like the the all these things are just you know another little glimpse into the capital taking control and keeping um, everyone at bay. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they talk about like the Mockingjays where in the movie it's, you know, a cute little, we use these birds to sing the time for when it's time to clock off for Rue, you know, and that, and that's really cool way to introduce like, oh, they mimic a bit, but Mm -hmm. in the book they dive in a little bit more and go as far as saying like they were genetically you know made to go and eavesdrop on the enemy and bring back what they're saying (laughs) and then you know it backfires on them and then it just turns into a big joke and everybody just now has these birds going around that might not be able to talk anymore but can sing beautifully and are more like parrots you know (laughs) yeah besides you know their brief description of what the tracker jackers are they don't really ever go into any other discussion about how any any of the animals that are you know not what we would see in our world today were they're not naturally there they were they were like they strategically were created and then just left in the wilderness to just populate on their own 
Yeah. And even worse than that, they were cleared out in the popular districts and then left in districts like 11, 12 or whatever. Any of the outliers, they just yep, left them left for the them. population to deal with. Right, so, which they didn't. They weren't able Which to. they didn't because they couldn't. How could they? Right, they <laughs> have no resources. To death. <laughs> right, they got other problems. Yeah, I think the movie did – because, you know, like we, we talked about the book how – Everything is from the perspective of Katniss, which is perfectly fine for a book. But then trying to do that same thing, having just inner monologue in a movie would kill it. And yeah, so, like Hatchet. Yeah, I Hatchet. If anyone <laughs> wants a good slow read and a good slow movie, uh, Hatchet is the way. Oh, don't do it. Just, I mean, to be fair, I think I read that book in like middle school and watched it for like some, I don't know. It was awful. And it's exactly. <laughs> what the hunger games could have been which is basically this kid sitting quietly in the woods the whole time just slowly dying and eating poisonous <laughs> things and throwing up it's yep. awful <laughs> so yep. you know it could have been the hunger games for us <laughs> right and that's the thing is in a book you you can get away with that and yeah it's, definitely it's, it's easy because you're just reading and, in, and, and you're involved in their every day in their head and it's fine but in a movie that could kill it and so the way that they kind of worked around that style from the book, I think they did a really good job yeah. um, because you do get more of a perspective, not just from Katniss. You get to see the things that are going on in the background at the Capitol. You get to see kind of, you get to actually see um, President Snow, which oh, you barely Snow. see him in the book at all, but you go, you start to see him on screen and it it's a very menacing vibe but you don't really know why yet. You just know that, ooh, there's something shady going on. And Yeah, they make him ominous early, which I appreciate. And Donald Sutherland <laughs> is so good and so perfect for it. And he has such a presence in that character. And it's so he, he did a beautiful job. It's really creepy. And he did a great job of being very poised and very scary. Yeah. And, you know, I, that was actually something I wanted to bring up. The well, Something that I loved – love 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 loved about the movie was the costuming of the capital mm, mm -hmm. um and specifically like really quickly just touching on again president snow his costumes in comparison to everybody else at the capital was so subdued mm -hmm. in relation and i thought that was such an interesting character development choice that he's very composed and very like keeps to himself, has this very big presence. He doesn't need to be loud and outrageous like literally everybody else in the Capitol yeah. has with their wardrobe. He's very like clean cut, monochromatic, doesn't have a lot of pop of color, a lot of whites and and like blacks and whites and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas like everybody else in the Capitol, it looks like almost like Whoville. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. Like all the, the colors and the eyelashes and the hair color and their dogs are like, color. there was like a pink pool at some point right. I mean, i'm pretty sure it was an afghan but whatever yeah okay you know. <laughs> no i could be wrong no a dog that was pink and that matched the owner <laughs> that's that walking it i you know they did a good job of not just making them all look like clowns though yeah, yeah. um especially effie um yes especially because it's one thing to have an entire crowd of people that look like this but when you take effie and the first little bit of that movie and bring her and her crazy style to the to district 12 yeah. <laughs> where they're wearing 
muted blues and mute like like grays and just no color almost yeah they look like they were popped out of the great depression they looked sickly all Mm -hmm. of them yeah Yeah. it's it's rough but then you've got this bright pink may the odds be ever in your favor she's great but she doesn't look like she looks ridiculous but not not in the way that she could have she could have literally just looked like bozo the clown standing there with no business being anywhere in this Mm -hmm. movie but Mm -hmm. they i think they nailed it yeah they they went over the top but not absurdly over the top because the whole point of the capital is it is over the top yeah and especially when you pull it out of context of the capital and stick it in like district 12 where she's got like the big bouffant hair everything's multicolor she's got like kabuki makeup and she's in these ridiculous high heels when everybody else is you know it looks like they just had random scraps of fabric that they threw together in resemblance of clothes and everything's very muted yeah they definitely pulled it back a little bit though there's a lot more um i mean there's a lot more even just background characters that don't really even look human anymore they kind Mm -hmm. of took that element a little bit out where it's like they they mutilate or change their body so far that they've lost the human element like mm-hmm. it like they do a good job of showing that that could be an easily slippery slope for them but mm-hmm. i don't think that they quite go that far cuz i don't think they need to mm-hmm. um because it's already pretty obvious that the capital is kooky and that they've got a special privilege and like you already know that they're just not the right set of mind as everyone else. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to be the same. They get the special privilege. They can get away with a lot. And uh, right. it's very different. <laughs> well, and you can tell too, just from when Katniss is in the Hunger Games and they start getting gifts from their sponsors, the kinds of gifts that they get. So, for mm-hmm. instance, like that that cream she gets to to heal her burn. I mean, this is like burn cream on steroids where she's got a severe like third degree burn that would in real time take months to heal properly, if at all. If at all, yeah. And then they give her a cream and it's like practically gone overnight. And the same thing with PETA with his gigantic cut in his leg from a knife wound or a sword mm, wound. The sword, yeah. And then it immediately, it's like practically healed and like barely a, a scratch on him the next day. So they've yeah. obviously got the tech in the medicine Mm-hmm. To have kind of, you know. Yeah, that kind of brings super, you back. Yeah, superhuman abilities. And they don't really touch on that. It's just they have the resources and they have the science there to have like super advanced medical technology, which is pretty crazy. And then you, you know, you add the whole absurd amount of food that they have and how everything's really fancy and swanky and their costumes. And they have like all, it really reminded me a lot of, um, kind of like Elizabethan time where the more fabric you had in a dress or an outfit, like the, the richer you were. So, you know, they have like hundreds of yards worth of fabric for these outfits just to show like us a popularity contest. And it yeah. was a very similar vibe where, you know, the more outrageous and colorful your design, the better off you would be. It is such a wild depiction. And I, I, I didn't ever get that kind of visual in my head from reading the book. And I, I love how they executed it in the movie. It was beautiful to look at and just weird. And I they definitely it. <laughs> made it feel like a shell of a great empire. 
mm-hmm. like that, like because clearly they won, and clearly mm-hmm. you know we're on the seventy fourth annual right. Hunger right. Game. Been a while, <laughs> so like this has been around for a long time, but you can de- definitely tell that they're starting to lose their grip, you know, mm-hmm. because they start to show you know people getting upset. And more so than normal. Like, they kind of have to keep hint dropping like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Riots happen. This happens every year because obviously kids are dying and people get upset. Mm-hmm. But why is this year different? And yeah. and that's what makes this Hunger Games interesting. Um, and then obviously you have to start it on the 74th because they have to do something extra fun and special for the 75th. Right, because it's um, a big, big number. Yeah, so, you know, that's just obvious um, that they have to do something extra special. um, Because you could have easily put this Hunger Games, like, the year after the war, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's more interesting to um, get to this point where you're like, oh, wait, what's happened? Wait, how many districts did there used to be? There were 13. Teen districts that gets mentioned like once i think mm-hmm. in the and very beginning like, wait what there were 13 and it's it's something that gets mentioned in well at, at the reaping it was on the video but mm-hmm. in the book it was just a like a written thing that the mayor had to read right. um which is obviously a character not in the movie but you know it's not really a necessary character unless you want to bring in the actual character that gave Katniss her pin that is the symbol for the cover in the movie and everything else. But, you know, know. (laughs) other than, you know, that, (laughs) that character is uh, the mayor's daughter, who's just Mm -hmm. her friend in the book, kind of. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, it's important, but I think the the importance was why she was given the pin Mm. was a token of friendship or a token of just like this sucks here's the best i can do mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and yeah they were kind of given at different times but i feel like they the whole idea behind the pin you know she gets it at uh that black market from just a random shop owner who is mm-hmm. just like depressed because we know it's reaping day and yeah i'll give this pin to a kid that i recognize because in the books we know she's there all the time Mm -hmm. you know making it so her family can survive you know year after year just by hunting and uh so i i think that they hit the right notes but maybe that's one of those things like personally i like watching the movie and picking apart the differences mm-hmm. um i find them entertaining and fun and and some movies do a good job of finding the the motivation for the thing and hitting the motivation properly mm-hmm. you know i would rather have them do that sometimes because sometimes just the book version can't translate so you've got to at least know where you're coming from and if they can get that down i think i'm usually a lot happier (laughs) yeah yeah well and with the movies too they you know not only did they have to kind of reframe the perspective of the movie because of you know the book is all katniss versus you have to make it a little bit more dynamic for the film but not only did they have to do that but they actually ended up having the author come in and help write the screen adaptation. So I think that helped 
tremendously yeah. to keep the feel of the book, but add multiple different perspectives in order to keep that story like engaging from a film yeah. perspective. Yeah, I definitely um, watching some of those behind the scenes. Uh, I'm a sucker for behind the scenes in oh, movies, yeah. um, but they definitely, you know, it's rare that you get an author that can be as involved. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the the moviegoer that doesn't want the author involved because that makes it so that they can't do whatever their vision is. But um, but I think they did a great job of collaborating. And something that they talked about in the behind the scenes specifically was that it was the director author just you know, coming out with ideas and the author was, you know, brainstorming with them. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, if she liked it. Right. Well, then I can't, who's, who am I to say that that isn't something that wouldn't have worked, you know, exactly. if, she's, if she gave it the stamp of approval. <laughs> right. And that's the thing is she would be the one who would know how to, if like, if I were to pick apart my own story, here's how I would do it. And they, they had her available to actually work through it. Mm-hmm. And they did a beautiful job. And um, that actually made me think of something else that I I think that this is a – I've talked to a couple of different people offline about this, and it's definitely split down the middle. But the way that they filmed the movie, it made it feel like it was all like a handheld camera. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that some people really don't like that because it's extremely disorienting. Yeah. And because it feels like you're there. And so I think I really enjoyed the style that they did with that because mm-hmm. it does it, it does make it feel like you're you're witnessing everything with Katniss or even as Katniss at some points. Yeah, they did a great job because um, as much as the handheld um, gives you that, they did a great job with the sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when she goes into the tube and they you know, it's just silent. The sound off, and you're oh, like, okay, that was cool. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, you're expecting like a da 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 da. Yeah, no, it's just dead and you're just quiet. like, okay, I've got the chills. <laughs> I love. I'm so glad you brought that up. I I'm obsessed with that transition. That it's so was good. so unnerving and so perfect because it's like everything sounds muffled, mm-hmm. and then it's this horribly bright light that you just pop because she's in a dark room underground and then all of a sudden she's in the bright open and it's just so disorienting and then it's still muffled and then you just hear like it sounds like a heartbeat but it's the counter counting down until they can move it's horrible and i loved that choice they did it it was a really like ballsy move Mm -hmm. because you're right in in some cases like it's like the olympics where everything's like super pumped and they're screaming and there's fanfare and like you know there's something going on Mm -hmm. and in this scene there's just nothing it's just it's so great it's so unnerving and for such for such a like a ruckus of a start to like you know this is the main event you you expect there to be just like tumultuous sound or something happening yeah and then there's just nothing it's so striking even just like hearing it like go like you could have easily just like heard the rumble of it bringing her through the earth right anything Anything. and yeah Yeah. there are a lot of ways that they could have gone and i Mm -hmm. think uh they yeah the the sound they do a good job like even just even going to like the tracker jackers you know mm-hmm. after God, she gets insane. stung a couple of times at first you're like what is going on and mm-hmm. then you then you're like 
Oh, um, yeah. They yeah. have hallucinogenic properties. Right. And, like, that's a great place to bring in, you know, the announcer, the host again, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not quite sure what's going on as you're watching it, and then the host walks out Just of the trees out of nowhere. And he's yeah. like, oh, powerful hallucinations. And you're like, oh, my, oh, God. my God. That's so clever. <laughs> they have, like, the really shifty camera where everything kind of overlays on top of itself so it's like super delayed and it looks yeah. very psychedelic and like that whole scene was just like breath stopping it yeah. was it was insane how they did that scene and i thought the book was hard to read but yeah. seeing it was like oh my god i stopped breathing for that entire it scene so cool. it yeah. was rough but they did such a good job because they could have made it like really over the top and mm-hmm. they could have made like you know um i don't remember which tribute it was that got stung to death but they could have made her look, you know, like Elephant Man and totally yeah. disfigured. And they could have yeah. gone way over the top with it. But then, you know, you add that extra filter of her tripping out of her mind and then seeing her dead on the ground. Like, you know what's happening for right. sure, but you're right. not sure how much of it's a hallucination or not. Exactly. It's <laughs> perfectly executed. And it's so creepy. And so, mm-hmm. oh my God, that scene, just like every time I think about it, I just get chills. Such yeah. a bananas scene. Yeah, they do great job with with the visual and the sounds. Another like I think another fun sound scene that they have that is just very very simple and it definitely does a good indicator of like it's from her point of view is when she does that first interview and she gets up on the stage and she's sitting down and she turns and she's like, wait, what? Right. She didn't hear anything <laughs> she, she said. She didn't hear anything. And we, yeah. the audience, didn't hear it either. Mm-hmm. So you have to assume that she's just overwhelmed by walking out on stage and all the crowd and all the sounds and the big lights and then the, oh, wait, you talked to me? <laughs> right. I have to do something now. Yeah. Which is so realistic. And also, again, they kept the theme of it being from her perspective because you're experiencing her emotions and her kind of reactions to this at the same yeah. time. Well, and even just could you imagine had had we had to sit through every Tribute's interview? I know. No way. Like, yeah. I love how they do, like, you get the little glimpses because she's, mm-hmm. you know, backstage or you, mm-hmm. you know, like she's watching it on a television where the right. rest of the tributes are also, you know, they're watching it on their own televisions in their own rooms kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, it's definitely an interesting way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is more realistic if you're actually still trying to keep to the perspective of your your protagonist. And so you, instead of, you know, going from the audience perspective, you're going from her. So you wouldn't be seeing every single thing because she'd be distracted. She's talking to Hamish. She's talking to Peta. You know, she's talking to Cinna. So things are happening at the same time. So obviously she's getting pulled to this direction. And then all of a sudden we look back and it's a new person on the stage. And so it's a little bit more realistic to if you actually were standing there next to her. Yeah. And definitely. it's it's beautifully done. I think they did a really good job of of keeping the style. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I, I think we're going to just jump into the third section, which is the comparison, because we've basically already been doing that. Because again, <laughs> it's, it's so, so hard, hard not to. <laughs> to not talk about both of them. So one of the few times where it's like, could you be a little more different so that I can I- <laughs> figure out which one's which? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I mean, I... I'll take great it. Problem I, to have. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> problem to, to not be able to pick your fave. But yeah. I guess from really diving into this comparison, were there any really stark differences that you noticed? 
Yeah, I think the big one that everyone's probably screaming up and down over is uh, the beasts at the end. Um, mm-hmm. They're probably the, I would say they're a big change as well as where the book and the movie end. We get a little yeah. bit longer glimpse in the book um, where they kind of give us a little bit more of the Hollywood end mm-hmm. um, in the movie, which is fine. I, I feel like it kind of drags a little bit, but it's still really important to mm-hmm. set up the next book unfortunately um yes. but i worry in a movie setting you would have lost your audience a little early um, yes it wouldn't have kind of had that full circle um mm-hmm. but with the beast specifically um one of the the things was that all these beasts were basically mutations of all of the tributes that they so had fought so um, creepy. So and it's I'm, really upsetting uh, that you're basically, you know, one of the things that they, uh, that she thinks is just like, okay, well, they have their eyes and their hair and their, you know, their look mm-hmm. and all of this. And they're basically like giant wolves that can stand on their hind legs, mm-hmm. but not werewolves. Those mm-hmm. are different. Right. A different <laughs> um, type of wolf. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, I am okay with the change here. And I think the at first I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason I am now is because the reason I think that they had to do that big of a shock factor for you in the book was because till this point, most of what we've seen from the Capitol was speculation and mm-hmm. guessing that it was the Capitol. Whereas right. in the movie, they had the luxury of going, yeah, no, it's absolutely the yeah, capital. They're doing it the whole forth. time. Let me show yeah. you the control room where they push the button telling you mm-hmm. I did the thing. Yeah. Um, they didn't need to do that in the movie because they've been proving it to you over and over and over that they're awful. They're killing kids already. They don't need to do it. And they have a lot of manipulation. Yeah. So I, I was fine with it just being a generic beast dog thing they were just scary and powerful and it got them to the place it needed to get them to mm-hmm. i don't like the idea that they were playing with that the tributes still had their memories oh it was awful um that you know oh do they recognize my face are they programmed to kill just me mm-hmm. you know so those were some really interesting like seeds to plant that these are things that could have been a thing. So mm-hmm. uh, if nothing else, the, the reason that that's there is to give you pause for the books to come. Right. Well, and the ethical decisions of the Capitol in that context, yeah. that they, they deemed that entertaining, not horrendously disturbing. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like they're like, oh, this will be great. We're going to put all the dead tributes into these animals. Not only are we going to make them look like them, but they're going to basically be them in an animal form. It's going to be great. Yeah. Like that that was a normal jump to a conclusion that they had as their like grand finale. Well, and their big argument is we've got to do it for the viewership, which yep. reminder yep. in the books, at least they bring it up over and over and over that the all of Penam, the area that they live, are required by the government to watch it unless you were on your deathbed. Right. So these are decisions that they're making to get a better, you know, 
like better star rating if you will but Mm -hmm. they all know that they have to watch it and that they have to like it more importantly even if they don't right just keep (laughs) smiling keep smiling and bear it yeah i i think with the ending um with the beasts i think something that stood out for me in comparison from the movie versus the book was how kato dies Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like an eternity in the book for Cato to die because yeah. he he falls mm-hmm. off of the cornucopia and the dogs are down there and they start tearing him apart, but they do it slowly. So they don't just maul him and it's done. They're like slowly, intricately tearing him apart and he's not dying and he's just screaming in agony and they're just <sighs> and then Katniss and Peta are sitting on top of the cornucopia, exhausted, waiting for day. And listening to him die. Well, and part of the reason was the cruelty of the capital and not wanting yeah. to finish him off. Right, right. But the second part of that was he was wearing from wrist to ankle. He had body uh, armor. armor. So exactly. So they couldn't get to him right couldn't away. Even get so to him. Yeah. It was awful. It <laughs> they was had awful. to wait for sunlight so that Katniss could see him well to enough to him. shoot him. It was so, I know it's awful in the book and it just draws out and out and out and they just listen to him screaming and crying and whimpering to die all night long. Yeah. Yeah. They do a good job with Cato having the realization of this is just as bad for me as it is for you. Right. He's like, I'm dead anyway. He's you know, like, like, I've been training my whole life for this thinking it was glory and now I'm here and it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's the I think the movie did a really good job of humanizing him a little bit more. Yeah. By I having that so. ending and I think that, you know, just so it wasn't super graphic, they ended him like she still kills him in the movie, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just it's faster. much faster. And the yeah. book it just draws out and it's <sighs> gut-wrenching. And I forgot yeah. about that until I went back and read the book again. I was like, "Oh my god, this is yeah. so horrible to sit like they just had to sit there and listen to him cry and scream and it's oh it's awful so i can see why they would have kind of stayed away from that in the movie because it's a pg-13 movie they can't really you know they could have been so much more gruesome and they just i mean even even like they could have still had that whole scene and not shown anything but the sounds would have been graphic enough like are horrible like one thing that they did do well in in the movies was they made the deaths very abrupt. Um, And, and that is a good thing for a movie like this because you don't want it to be the action movie where you hit them a hundred times and break every bone in their body. And then Mm -hmm. somehow magically they're still walking and you know, that just isn't going to fit this kind of thing. They do a lot more one shot. They're gone. And, and you do generally see that, that killing blow but it isn't glorified it isn't what the what the capital wants you to believe it is is a gladiator game you know Mm -hmm. it's it's not that you they do a great job of making it a scuffle and quick end Mm -hmm. you know for most of it because a lot of them aren't hunting um, most of them are just trying to get out of there alive. And then you've got the careers that have been told their whole lives that this is how it must be. So they're playing the game by the rules that have been laid out for them. And they're prepared uh, for it. That's the big difference yeah. too, is they've been preparing for it and they have the skill set 
to actually right. make a difference. Whereas yeah. I think that actually made me think of in in the movie when the Hunger Games actually officially starts right in front of the cornucopia. Mm-hmm. That I, again, we go back to the the sound production where you know Katniss and Peter are told to just run the opposite direction mm-hmm. of the cornucopia because it's just going to be a bloodbath. And then they have that scene where it's like this really eerie music and no other sound and just people getting slaughtered left yeah. and right. Yeah, because like half of them go down basically in yeah, that first, in that first five two, minutes. Three minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's and and the thing is, it's it's just so disturbing to see that because in the book, I feel like they they do a very similar thing in the book, but to see it from that perspective, and then again, you go back to the handheld camera, so it's just like things are pivoting left and right. Everything's very disoriented. There's like somebody gets slashed down with a like a sickle, and then all of a sudden you see somebody getting hit with a backpack to the face, and like it, like there's just so much. It's just chaos. Yeah, definitely. It's just so striking to see that versus reading it because you can kind of visualize it in your head. But the movie, I thought that was such a dynamic scene and so much more disturbing to see it it's hard to portray chaos in a written form Uh, right and i think it was done well don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong yeah Um, totally different vibe totally different vibe yeah (laughs) and i yeah i think there were a lot of things about the movie that i actually thought were executed better because it, it, there are certain things that you can just portray better in a visual medium. Yeah. The book had a really good job of being able to really get into Katniss's head and see everything from her perspective. And you get to see a lot more of kind of the backstory of how she became who she was and kind of to see how the districts work and seeing her side of the mechanics of the games, but then to actually see the mechanics of the games from the control room and to actually see all of this shady stuff going on with the capital at the same time, I think it gave it so much more color Mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily get in the first book. And I think you really, from what I've gathered, is you would get a lot of that context in the second and third book because that's where stuff starts to expand. Yeah. Well, one of the things visually that they give you in the movie, a great scene, I, I'll bring it up. I'll be the one to do it. Rue's death. <laughs> oh, oh Rue's so death. So one of the things that they do visually um, in Rue's death, and, and it's not even her death, but it's the aftermath of it, mm-hmm. um, that you don't really get, but you can kind of assume um, is that the riot that starts in District 11, which is Rue's district, Yes, you can pretty much gather. Now, I don't know if it's true for sure, but you can pretty much gather that it's her father that started That's kind it. of what I thought, too, because it they alluded strongly. Yeah. They never say it, but they allude heavily. You know what? I'm I'm absolutely like regardless of if it is or not i think that it just makes it more awesome if it is i do too it drives a lot more of that in that uh emotion as to you know if anybody would start a riot it would be a man watching his child die yeah (laughs) important part there being that you know katniss is helping someone not in her district right she just met her she has no connection to her whatsoever except that she reminds her of her sister i think exactly biggest pull yeah um but yeah it's she has no reason to help this person who's from a totally different district she's not family the whole point is to kill each other there is nothing And she's not strong like yeah you know 
as far as allies go she's not a threat <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's a little a little daunting that she even takes her on because you know in the back of her head she's like well if i make it all the way to the end with her somebody's going to go yeah and uh yeah you know they they do a good job of um like I'm glad that they they didn't give her that option. I'm I I think that that would have been a very different book mm-hmm. had had Katniss needed to pull the trigger for that um, or the bowstring, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that they probably wouldn't have um, had the star-crossed lover storyline in there because having both of those, it's like, well, duh, she would pick Peta because they're from the same district. Right. So the tension wouldn't have been the same. Yeah. But if it was just two people have to survive and it doesn't matter what district you're from and there's no love interest, mm-hmm. she would have a, potentially a stronger connection to Rue because of how she reminds her of her sister. But yeah, I think yeah. it would have been a completely different story had that been <laughs> the outcome. But I, I think kind of going back to the riot scene in the movie, I love that they did that. Mm-hmm. It is. It brought so much more power and emotion to that whole segment of the movie. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, if we're just talking about from Katniss's perspective, she'd have no idea that that was happening. Yeah. So being able to have, you know, the gut wrenching experience of her having to basically bury her only friend at that time mm-hmm. versus what's happening in response to her kindness. Yeah. It's such a powerful scene. Yeah. And you don't get that in the book because how could you? It's all from her perspective. So you're stuck in the Hunger Games that whole time. Yeah. Well, and one of the cool things, like, they they talk about bread a lot because yes. Peta being a baker's son mm-hmm. and the whole scene where, you know, him throwing the bread to her and burning it on purpose, uh, getting in trouble, having to throw it out for the pigs and then giving yeah. it to her instead. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm ironically that was the first scene that they shot in the movie um, i know that's which crazy. Is crazy um I know, like, that is kind of cool it, it is nuts that the first scene was them just like pouring down rain here just pretend you're dying on the side of the road real quick yeah. and that's how they started filming this movie yeah what um, a way to start very ominous uh first scene um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what's cool is like throughout their getting through the all the districts and getting everyone and you know they they do uh focus a lot on food um and one of the i know one of the things that people were upset about when this movie was first coming out was that jennifer lawrence wasn't skinny enough for the role oh yeah i remember hearing about this yeah and i know like i don't know a lot like it's mostly i mean i didn't look super into that story but she basically said no you know i'm skinny enough and I understand because she's basically supposed to be starving, but yeah. can we not do that for our yeah. actors? Her <laughs> decision, everything? yeah, I did read a little into that. So her Jennifer Lawrence's reasoning was, you know, like you know, women already have a huge body image issue in this country, in the world. So you know, promoting a 
a main character as a like a female main character and having them being sickly skinny just seems very detrimental. Yeah. Even even though yes, that is really what happened in the book. But the thing is, it's like this is at the end of the day, this is a movie, and yeah. what what I am doing would be promoting to have a extremely skinny physique, and she did not want to be a part of it. Which she's been a really big advocate for women's health and, and body images, and especially yeah. within Hollywood, which I like absolutely love her for. It's not easy to do. <laughs> no, especially in that line of work. Yeah, well, and with that particular role, if she had done what the books required of her, she basically would have gone from skinny enough to basically starve to death to let me gain over 20 pounds in a matter of a week um, because she basically brings it upon herself to just like I need to gain weight I'm starving to death before this whole game start I need to gain weight and so like Mm -hmm. she spends a lot of her time just eating and eating and eating but one of the cool things is that PETA teaches her the different breads from the different districts because he notices that there's different roles and things that they don't recognize and they're all from different districts so with Rue's death bringing us all the way back there um (laughs) What's interesting is all of the the gifts that she gets from the sponsors. In the movie, Hamish writes a note in each one of these gifts to tell her, basically, you're doing a good job. You're mm-hmm. not doing a good job. Do better. All mm-hmm. of these things. You call that a kiss. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And like mm-hmm. making fun of her, egging her on, whatever. But mm-hmm. in the in the book, she has to guess the intentions of the gifts. There's no context. It's all about timing and when she receives the gifts so that she can kind of piece together what it's supposed to be. So she gets a gift right after she, you know, tried to help Rue, didn't Mm -hmm. succeed, you know, takes the time to put flowers around her, keeps Mm -hmm. the weapon in her, which is a little bit different, but I'm okay with Mm because, you know. Um, basically keeping the weapon with her um, when they take the bodies means that the weapon will leave the arena arena so it's no longer in a threat yeah so like Mm -hmm. you know she honors her in her death with these flowers and then that that um, the three finger symbol that she holds Mm -hmm. up which in her district was a sign of like Basically, it's a sign that they used at funerals for Mm -hmm. farewell. For like a tribute. Yeah. Yeah. So then she gets this gift of bread from District 11. And the only reason she knows it's from them is because of PETA. Because he told her what they're... Because they're the grain district, right? Yeah. So like yeah. they they have all of like they have the orchard and like grain. So they have a lot of the food stuff um, mm-hmm. in their district. So it's um, really cool that they like they know that he knows the bread. So they're kind of hoping that because they're in love that <laughs> she'll know, right? So luckily, yeah. you know, she does, and she's able to say thank you to the camera. And that's one thing that. I don't think they did as much in the movie, which makes me a little sad. She was a lot snarkier with the camera in the book. Yes. Um, she she knows. She played it up more. Yeah, she played it up. She's like, I got to make sure that when I get out of this tree, I do my best pose because I know that there's going to be a close up on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is a little bit more um, of how they reminded you that you were in the games in, mm-hmm. in the book versus where the movie, instead of her saying, I'm going to pose for the camera, 
you go to the control room, right? Mm -hmm. So she doesn't need to say I'm posing for the camera. She just poses for the camera and then we go to the control room. (laughs) Right. I feel like, especially in the book, they had a lot more playful romantic scenes between Peta and Katniss. I think, you know, when she takes him to the cave to recover before they get the medicine and then a little after that even, they they spend a lot more time there in general in the book. And then also it, it seems like their relationship is built a little bit more mm-hmm. and it, it kind of makes you see that romantic side and accept it a little bit more than I thought the movie. I yeah. Think the movie- in the movie, it's a little more desperate. Yeah. Because- they're dying. <laughs> right. Like she's I because it, it seems almost more like she feels guilty for not sharing the emotion with him. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of plays along and then kind of means it, but doesn't really know if she fully means it. Yeah. And then they have they keep having the panaways to see Gail because he's watching <laughs> That's all of this. Funny. Those scenes made me laugh because I'm like, okay. Mm. There is a love triangle, but there kind of isn't. They're kind of milking it a little bit too much. Yeah, and- a little bit. <laughs> That's Hollywood for you, right? Exactly. That was like the one moment where I was like, and now I know we're watching a Hollywood film. Yeah. And back to our scheduled program. And so (laughs) that was kind of, I didn't really care for that. But then also they built that relationship differently in the movie too, because in the book, they share a lot more of how Gail and Katniss are together. So you don't really see much of that relationship being built in the movie. So they kind of have to jump the gun a little bit to kind of give you more traction on why there's romance between the three of them. Yeah, well, but they also cut out a significant part that does have to do with Gale, kind of in the way that it happened in the forest. Um, So like they took out the, um, oh, what are they called? The Vox? Oh, wow. right, right, right. The gal who had her tongue chopped out. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a yeah, fun one that yeah. they kind of just gloss yeah. over. Uh, yeah. and aren't, they don't really mention. No, I not at all. They, well, okay. So they do. So this is this is their nod and I will give them uh, praise for this. So at the point in the book where it gets to the point where you see this ship come from the sky and you see these two people get taken away one of them is clearly probably killed on site and the other one's just taken away and Mm -hmm. then later on when Katniss goes to the capital is you know has the servants there yeah it's this girl and she recognizes her Mm -hmm. and in the movie the part where they're supposed to run into them is basically they talk about um leaving the capital and then Gail says or Gail or Katniss, I'm not sure which one says it, but they're basically along the lines of like, oh, well, we can't do that or we'll get our tongue cut out. Or worse. Yeah, yeah, I remember them. They do mention it like for Mm -hmm. those book readers that are like, hey, (laughs) that was kind of more of the nod of like, yeah, we know, but it's not like a character that brings down the house for the book. You don't yeah. really need it. It's more of the threat that it's there and that can become more important later. But for book mm-hmm. one, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, and they really. even do another little nod too because they, like after, you know, they say that comment, they look up and there's that capital ship just hovering above them and they run away. But then there's nothing yeah. ever. So, you know, in, in the movie, it seems like, oh, well, the capital ship is here for the reaping. 
Mm-hmm. But they never actually touch on that any further. So they never explain it. It's just there's a ship there and they're not supposed to be in the forest. So that's like, we got to book it. Yeah. So they kind of hint to it, but obviously it's not a super crucial line. It's just, it's an extra textural thing to show yeah. what the capital will do. More layers of how evil they are, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. To show what they'll do if you disobey or go against what you're supposed to do. And I think that, you know, they drop that line altogether in the movie, but then they make up for it by being able to see all the kind of interlacing stuff going on in the background. And then I think a really big pivotal point at the very end of the movie is the gamekeeper, because he messed up, they lock him in a room and all that's in there is a table with a bowl of those poisonous berries in the middle. So they're basically telling him to kill himself. So, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of insidious stuff going on that that was not in the book at all, but I think it was a genius move because it's like, yikes, what a statement. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't contain it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then you see those, yeah, you see those interactions with President Snow and the gamekeeper and it's like, you know, you know, a a spark is fine as long as you can contain it. So contain it. And I mean, all these very foreboding signs of like, get your stuff together. Otherwise there will be consequences like everybody else. Doesn't matter if you're in the Capitol or not, there will be consequences. And then lo and behold, there's your consequences, death by poisonous berries. And it's so... Woof. So crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the movie did a really good job of knitting the universe together in a in a way that the book the book gives you a lot of little sneaks, sneak peeks here and there about what, you know, the world that Katniss lives in and then kind of puzzle pieces it together with the capital when she gets there. But the movie, it drops you into this world and it helps knit all the fabric of it as you're going along. And I think they did such a good job with that. Yeah. Um, And the visual alone, I mean, I keep coming back to the visual that they did. It was incredible. It was beautifully done. They definitely made the capital a lot, like a lot more of something to fear in Mm. in the movie i think they did a good job because again katniss is pretty oblivious that she's in danger for a really long time right she's just doing what she thinks she needs yeah even after the games she has to be told that you're still in the games like they're mad that you got out of it (laughs) hamish is like they are upset at you that you bested them yeah and you need to be careful And that's kind of just the precursor of, you know, what's to follow with the next two books and the next two movies is that, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Just because you made it out on the other side does not mean that this is over, especially with the way that she did it. You know, she beat the system, which has never been done. So people are pissed. Yeah. Because you tripped the system. Well, because now anyone can do it. What if what if the entire group comes in the next year and just does that? Right. So you've totally tipped the scales on, you know, yep. who who is in control. And obviously up until this point, the capital has prided themselves in being in complete and utter control. I mean, they've fabricated an entire game arena environment around the Hunger Games and having that sense of control over their districts. Well, and they even go as far as to mid-year they do a parade of the victors again so that you remember that it's yeah. always right there you can't right. get away so you, don't just, you don't just forget <laughs> about it for a year yeah yeah they're constantly reminding you yeah they basically do like a victory lap it's sick yeah. it's sick <laughs> it is i mean the whole the whole concept is disturbing well, well and the, something that they don't really like because they give you the you know they do the interview again 
and every every tribute that has won has had to sit there for three hours and watch as all of the tributes die so now you get to relive the ones you were there for and witness the ones you didn't see yeah you know because just because you were in there doesn't mean you saw it all right because all this stuff is happening around you yeah with a camera in your face reacting to the deaths of all of these kids and you have to be okay with that right after you just lived it yeah essentially yeah it's i mean yeah i think that (laughs) it is wild and i think that you know with with a topic like this the um Again, I'm going to kind of bounce back to the movie version. This could have easily turned into, you know, it's kind of a weird meta thing where it's a movie about a universe where they're kind of turning a fight sequence into a movie or an entertainment thing. So it's like entertainment about entertainment. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of play about a play, a play about a play. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of get you skirt the the issues of like, well, if you make a movie out of something that's supposed to be kind of cinematic, you run the risk of basically just making a propaganda movie about a topic in a book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you you need to be careful with making the, the story come off as this is not something that we are glorifying in film adaptation. This is something that we are depicting in a film about something that is supposed to be glamorized and is very much not. Yeah. And they nailed it. They, they did such a good job of having the dichotomy of the capital being this beautiful, glossy finish and everything is so fancy and beautiful and a ton of food. And then you have this kind of flip side of being in the Hunger Games and everything's disorienting and the um, overall just like the cinematography of how they depict the Hunger Games versus being in the capital. So you've got, you know, the fake glossy finish of the capital, but you can still see the underbelly of like, I'm just playing a part to make people happy. Mm-hmm. And then the Hunger Games like, this is messed up. Let me show you how messed up this is. And they did a really good job. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Oh, my gosh. Well, I could talk about this forever. Oh, um, yeah, me too. <laughs> there's so many other things that we didn't even touch. Yeah, there's... I mean, you could go page by page on this thing. It, and it's a short book and you can still talk about it forever. I know. It's incredible. I think that, you know, we could talk about this forever, but I think we shall come to a close. And I just wanted to ask you a quick question before we uh, end everything. What are you currently reading that you would like to highlight? Ooh, um, well, right now I'm currently reading the Sword of Truth series. Ooh, Um, so good. It's a good one. Um, And I will put that with a warning that it is is fantasy, but it is um, for adults. Oh, yeah. Definitely has a lot of adult themes, a lot of viol- a lot, a lot of violence. So much um, violence. Yep. But that being said, it's a great series. It's a long series. Um, it's like thirteen or fourteen books or yeah, something. Try eighteen. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's eighteen. Um, I'm on book like eleven, I think, and yeah. I will say that it's pretty great that I haven't had a dud yet. Yeah, um, they're great books. But I will say that the first book is really easy to get into, um, and it's a lot of fun, definitely. Uh, That's Terry Brooks, right? Uh, good Kind, I believe. Good Kind. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mix them up all the time, even though they're very different authors. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is Terry Good Kind. Thank yes. you. Terry Brooks <laughs> is another 
another great author, but that is not him. Very different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's an incredible series. Um, but if series. you are looking for something a little bit more Hunger Games like, Divergent's definitely a good one. Uh, that caveat being, I have not watched any of the the uh, visual media for it. I mm-hmm. just went and read the books. I enjoyed the books. Um, they're dark themed, but are still teen, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of why I want to bring it up for the Hunger Games. But if you're up for um, a lot more adult themes, I definitely highly recommend the Sort of Truth series. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. This has been so much fun to talk to you about this. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Yeah, hopefully I'll be back for the next two. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is on the list for sure. So hopefully we can have you back. That'd be great. Yeah, well, and thank you to all of our listeners. We're glad you could join us and we will see you next time. Thanks. And may the odds be ever in your your favor. (laughs) 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 And then we got end music. Do, 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 do